Today's show is made possible by Fittery. You've probably purchased some dress and casual shirts online before, and sadly, you've probably had to return many of those items because they just didn't fit. Now, you do realize, of course, that billions are spent returning all of these poorly fitting clothes, right? Well, the madness can stop. The hassle of having to return all of this stuff can stop. Well, this is where Fittery comes in. They've devised a process by which you can almost guarantee that the dress and casual shirts you buy online will fit. And from brand names you'll recognize, Brooks Brothers, J. Crew, Land's End, Ralph Lauren, to name just a few. And they're adding more brands every day. Now, I myself use Fittery, and setting up my account was very simple and took almost zero time. Just go to fittery.com intrepid, complete the quick size tool, and you'll soon be ordering dress and casual shirts that actually fit. Again, that's fittery.com intrepid. You'll love Fittery, and you'll actually enjoy and look forward to ordering clothes online again. All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things the ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning, and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schneck. Yet another important conversation around leadership and leadership development. As you, my faithful audience, knows, we have a lot of conversation on this because, frankly, in my opinion, there's a lot of poor leaders out there, and we can't talk enough about different ways to think about this, to approach it, to change mindsets, to change perspectives. So going to be a very intriguing conversation. I'm joined today by Rick Tiemann. He's the president of the executive group and the author of a new book called Developing World-Class Leaders, The Ultimate Guide to Leadership Development. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. I appreciate you carving some time to join us. Uh, I know you are a busy gentleman, so I appreciate you making some time. Rick, we're going to dive into the work you're doing, especially this new book of yours. But before we go there, uh, quickly uh, inform the audience a bit about you and your background. Well, I, I came to the business world at the age of 24 and bought my first company. And by the age of 30, I'd started two more and sold them. And then the next 10 years, I spent in corporate America. But in 1991, I entered into this space around helping organizations develop their leaders and do a better job of selecting people and and promoting individuals into key positions that have a shot at becoming successful versus non-successful. And the outcome of 25 years now of work has created the workshop that the book is predicated on 
and we've done five of these workshops over the last year and a half, and and the audience encouraged us to say, hey, this really has enough content to be a book. So I began writing the book on all my all the work that I've done over the last 25 years and all the work I've done around leadership and the fact that I've probably evaluated and assessed a little over 13,000 leaders through a very sophisticated assessment process, and, and therefore came the outcome of the book. All right. Well, the book, again, is Developing World-Class Leaders. Now, Rick, I ask this question frequently on my show. I interview a lot of authors who have written on a lot of, let's just say, topics that there's a lot of thought leadership out there. If you go to Amazon right now and Google leadership or leadership development, you're going to get you're going to get countless opportunities of, of material to consume. Why did the world need Rick Tiemann's book? I mean, what, what's different about what you, what you bring to the table here? What's your approach? You know, that's a great question, and I always love to answer that question. And here, here's why. On my bookshelf is literally hundreds of books that I've read over the last 40 years, and I can't tell you how many books on leadership are on my shelf, from Patton's Strategies on Leadership to the Navy SEALs on Leadership to Ron Charon and the Leadership Pipeline and Goldman on Primal Leadership and, and just in the Leadership Challenge. I mean, the, the list goes on. But none of those books, all of those books address what I need to do as a leader to pay attention to what I need to do to be effective as a leader for myself and how I go about leading the organization, whether, whether I lead with empathy or encourage the harder things of nature. But this book is different. This book is about the process that organizations need to have. So if you're going to have a manufacturing firm, you've got an ISO process that you follow. And what I've seen in all the years that I've done this work is I've yet to really find an organization who has a process, a system, a methodology, a way in which you go about identifying your leaders, developing your leaders, building the program, conducting the program, what's needed in a program. And so when the workshop that was created got, began to get traction by the people that attended, then it became very obvious that the, that the organizations out there are looking for some type of as one client who, who te- has a testimony for us on the book says, it's a step-by-step method. Another individual who commented on the book said, you know, it, it's the common sense approach to things that most of us stumble over. So it's a basic grassroots, you know, kind of simplistic approach, but step-by-step to what goes into an effective leadership development program. And that's why I wrote the book. Well, why does that happen? Why is, why do, is there such a problem with this? Why do a vast majority of these leadership development programs fail within an organization? I mean, why is the, you say it's, you have to have a process or a system or a methodology. Why do those processes and systems and methodologies fail? Or frankly, how come, how come these days too many organizations don't even have that? Why, why is this still a problem? Why does someone like Rick Tiemann have to write this book? I mean, haven't we, haven't we figured out how to solve this problem by now? Well, you'd think so, but the real dynamic is is that uh, I have truly identified 12 areas that are outlined in the second chapter of the book. I've outlined 12 areas in which, or to, to the reasons why leadership development programs actually fail. And the interesting part is, is as you look at those 12 factors or, or pieces of why I think leadership programs fail is most companies are guilty of anywhere from lacking in two to three of the areas. For example, I've seen a couple of clients over the years who have what we call high potential groups or hypos. And the interesting thing is, is that these people who are in the hypos 
are saying, well, so what's my next step and where do I go? And, and one year they have the hypo program and the next year they don't. So it, it's kind of a start and stop. And another example, it sometimes is not properly funded. Um, and those, there's so many different things that impact why leadership programs tend to fail. You know, another interesting thing is, is that there's a lack of follow-up. I was doing a, a, a follow-up 360 with an individual, the top 13 executives in this client, and one of the individuals looked at his 360 that he did several years ago and then looked at the one that he was just doing currently with me. He says, it's funny how the things are showing up from several years ago are showing up today. I'm thinking to myself, well, what did you do with the first information you got? Right, Obviously, right. you haven't done anything with it, but nothing's changed. So I, I think there's a lack of accountability. I don't think things are properly funded. I think that there's you know, other competing initiatives. I, and I think one of the single biggest things is that it's not a strategic initiative. It's part of a strategic plan for the organization. And then the last thing would be what I think is the number one thing, and that is I don't know that leadership or ownership truly – sees leadership development as anything other than an HR-driven initiative and doesn't necessarily get mandated or driven from the top. So the book outlines kind of the, the 12 things that I think are, are critical impasse for successful leadership development programs. So let's assume for a minute that someone listening to this says, gosh, we have to rethink how we do this. And, and, and we're committed to finally getting serious about this process. And so they begin to evaluate how they're going to do that and what process they're, they might follow or what system they'll implement or what methodology they're going to adopt. Any advice and counsel to, to someone listening to this who's now committed to figuring this out on finding the right solution, the right process, system, methodology for them? I mean, how should they begin that process of saying, what's the best way for us to, to actually do this right that's going to yield positive results? Well, I, I think one of the things would be paying attention to the 12 things that I think are reasons why they fail yeah. and, and evaluating and saying, okay, are we, how many of these are we guilty of? And these are things that we can identify that, A, we're guilty, and B, they need to change. So taking a look at the 12 things that I list as problem areas can certainly go towards saying, yeah, we can fix that, or that's something that we got to pay closer attention to, such as the idea of the month club. I think the second thing is the, the next chapter in the book talks about the eight fundamental things that an organization needs to have to have a successful leadership development program. And, of course, in a, in a short piece like we're doing now, it's difficult to get into all eight of those, but yeah. there's their basic fundamental truths of what needs to happen. For example, a very simple thing that most organizations miss, very simple thing is there's a disconnect between the difference between competencies required at the job level versus competencies required at the executive level. And so the competencies for the leaders of Apple are going to be different from the competencies of the leaders of Nordstrom versus the competencies of the leaders at Walmart because they're, they're different business models and you're going to have different competencies to a greater or lesser degree. So the question becomes is, do we really have a competency model that, that our leaders help us understand the direction we must lead and the way we must drive our thinking that ties to our strategic intent. And if our strategic intent isn't all that robust, then guess what happens to our leadership program and the leaders that we want to attract, they wind up leaving. So, you know, Jim Collins had to write his second book from his first book, Good to Great, because he touted Circuit City as having their act together. Well, we know that's not true. So 
when you start to look at all the fundamental things of why they fail, the core pieces that need to come into play, that's another reason why I decided to write the book, and that is I think there's some fundamental things that people are just missing or not paying attention to. Yeah, and these are things that they wouldn't even think about, which is why it's important to look in the mirror and, and understand, oh, gosh, yeah. And, and and then when you see that list, I suspect if, if you read the book and you read that list, you say, how how in the heck did we not see that and, and not recognize the importance of that? I bet you that's a, <laughs> bet that's a common tale. Well, before we go to break, Rick, uh, uh, you talk about the importance of emotional intelligence. Why is that so relevant here? Well, you know, I, I may be presumptuous in this, but I would think most people have heard the term, it's not IQ, it's EQ. Right. And so, obviously, IQ translates to perceptual reasoning. There's other kinds of reasoning, such as, as cognitive reasoning and inductive and deductive reasoning. But EQ is emotional intelligence, and that's the self-awareness that we have to critique our own skills and abilities. And so... When you look at fallen leaders, which is a, a specific chapter in the book that talks about past leaders, you know, everyone knows of Jeffrey Skilling from Enron. Brilliant man, but where was his emotional intelligence around what he did to destroy not only his own career, but a company underneath him? And then you look beyond that to George Ivester, who was the CFO of Coca-Cola, who was promoted after Gutierrez's death, who in two short years he was asked to resign by the very board that promoted him. So where was his emotional intelligence and where were his skill sets and what was he able, what did he miss in the equation? And so it's the adage of a good friend of mine, Dr. Watterson, talks about, you know, a gymnast can't critique his routine in the middle of his routine. And so being self-aware, which is certainly driven by the book Emotional Intelligence, speaks to the fact of at times we're not as attuned to where our gaps are, and what we need to do to really shore up our skills and abilities. So emotional intelligence has to do with that self-awareness and being critical of yourself, if you will. Yeah, got it. Oh, that's so, so important. All right, Rick Tiemann and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This is Wes Moss, former host of Atlanta Tech Edge on NBC in Atlanta. I'm here today, though, to talk to you about my new digital financial advisory firm, Wella. Well is an old English word that means wealth. Several years ago, my team realized there were too many people who needed help with their financial strategy, but couldn't get the help they needed because they didn't reach the high investment minimums of many financial advisory firms. To answer this need, we developed Wella, a digital platform that allows us to help people just like you get free financial advice and tools to better manage their finances. We also offer online investing and the ability to work with your own investment advisor with no minimums. Learn more at yourwella.com. That's Y-O-U-R-W-E-L-A.com. All right. I am back with Rick Tiemann, the author of a new book, Developing World-Class Leaders, The Ultimate Guide to Leadership Development. So, gosh, uh, my head's still swimming from uh, everything we talked about the top half of the show. I want to shift now. You talked a lot about assessments. And I'm curious as to your opinion on the standard way that we currently assess our leaders. And those are done through performance reviews or peer-to-peer or assessment reviews. Do any of these actually work? Should they be used? Are there ways to make them better? Is there another way to think about it? Well, I think that one of the chapters is, is Chapter 5 called Creating a Feedback Loop. And in that feedback loop, I believe that all of these things are important to utilize, not just one or two. And that's another one of the fundamental reasons why I think programs fall short is, is that 
organizations don't necessarily use all of the components that are to their disposal. And so we, when we think about performance reviews, the question that has to be asked is, is it, are we consistent? Is it a fair rating system? And does the executive or the individual who is receiving the performance review, do they see this value and do they respect the person that's delivering the message? Otherwise, if they don't, then it usually goes in one ear or out the other. Right. When we talk about 360s, one of the discussions that I have in the book speaks to why most 360s don't work. They can work. They, they are viable tools. But the vast majority of time of what I've seen in 25, almost 26 years now of doing this is the majority of them don't work. And there's some fundamental reasons why they don't. And I think the other piece is, is that there's a very huge disconnect in assessments, meaning some type of form of testing that you use to help the individual kind of take a deeper look in their personality. And when organizations are, are prone to using what I call more simple or simplistic assessments versus more sophisticated assessments, that now brings in a whole other world into the, what we call the testing realm. And that is that for those organizations who try to use the Myers-Briggs, which is a great communication tool, it's not designed as a selection tool or even a true leadership development tool because of its limitations. And it's not, it, it, the whole thing is it's about what is it that an assessment tells you but yet doesn't tell you? And then more importantly, what are, what's the deal with an assessment that what it can't tell you? Meaning if you don't measure certain traits or attributes, you won't get a, a readout or a feedback on those particular traits. So your Myers-Briggs, your DISC, your predictive index, they're all very limited. The Berkman, they're all very limited in what they can tell you about an individual's overall behavior and skill sets. The more sophisticated instruments like the 16PF or the Hogan, two of which I use, or more of the, of the pronounced instruments in the market, do a better job at really digging in deeper into individuals' behaviors. But the misnomer about most assessments is, is that they're equally valid across all domains, and they're not, because when you look at validity, reliability, distortion, test content, test construct, those are things that when you understand what those things mean, you can discern whether or not you've got a quality assessment that you're using. So I don't think organizations use all the tools at their disposal from performance reviews to peer-to-peer -peer reviews to 360s to assessments to management reviews to outside coaching I don't think that the organizations use all the tools at their disposal to really help leaders understand their true gap analysis and where their true strengths and weaknesses really lie. Well, talk about some of the assessments you've done. I mean, you, I think you indicated you've uh, assessed over 13,000 leaders. I mean, what, what, have, what are the common shortcomings of most leaders that, that you could say, hey, here's one thing to change, one thing to think about to someone listening to this? And, and, and what, what are the more surprising outcomes of some of these assessments of them? Well, you know, most people who, who achieve high levels of success are usually very competitive and very driven. Mm. And along with that, typically comes a very strong ego. And the question becomes is whether that ego is overused and mm. whether that ego is too strong, if you will. Um, and you can allude to that in the presidential election going on right now. Yeah. But... The, the piece to what you're trying to help executives understand is, is that the gentle balance between getting ahead and getting along and learning how to be politically correct versus playing politics. So when you're trying to help leaders evaluate where their skills and abilities lie and where their strengths and weaknesses lie, 
there's a pretty broad spectrum of things that need to be taken into consideration that you're trying to help them understand and trying to get them to be able to see. Oftentimes, it's just a lack of awareness that you know could be tweaked. But back to my example of the Coca-Cola example or Enron, you know, another example exists where Jill Barad, who was head of marketing and took Mattel's Barbie line to brand new heights, was then awarded recognition for her, her good deeds and promoted to CEO of Mattel. And within about three, two and a half to three years, she was asked to resign as well. So what was it she missed? What, what were her gaps? What were the things that she didn't have available within her skill sets, if you will, that could have allowed her to be more successful? Yeah, those are such important questions. Uh, investing in staff is is something you say is one of the most valuable activities that an organization can do. I fear that most organizations aren't doing that right, or if if at all. And and are are there some better ways to actually do that and 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 to invest in staff? Well, I think every company recognizes that investing in their staff is important. The question is, do they really have a program or process or methodology that then drives that? For example, I might identify that I'm going to dedicate $4,000 for every employee for training and development of some sort, or $2,500 or whatever, and, or I'm going to commit X amount of dollars to my training budget, or I'm going to commit X amount of dollars to a leadership budget, and for every leader in the organization, we're, we're investing $5,000 in their training and development or supporting them in, in their career development. But one of the things that I think is completely underutilized by many organizations is external coaches. And, and so an external coach can provide insight where someone internally may not. Mm. But the problem with executive coaching is, is that oftentimes, and I know this is true in all the people that I've been brought into coach, is that oftentimes I wind up being brought in to do damage control. Right instead of really helping them in a position of saying, we're getting ready to promote someone, and here's what we want to help them be prepared, I don't see a whole lot of that. I see more of the time of persons on a PIP, they're having problems, they're not getting along, we don't want to lose them, they've got good skills in this area. and so. But executive coaching is expensive, and so which gets back to do you have a budget and do you understand where to go to provide help for people to help them become stronger leaders. Well, it's amazing to me how, certainly with the organizations that I've observed, how little they do they put into training and into the development of their people. And and don't they recognize that that is you know this the investing in training and frankly, in my view, ongoing training. I don't think it really ever ends. I think there should be some continuous development particularly with your younger generation of employees. I mean, if you want to develop long-term leaders, well, then training, you know, millennial, the millennials have this reputation for being job hoppers. It's because they're not being trained and they're not being invested in, and they want to go somewhere that does care about that. They, they want to stay in an organization for a long time, but they, they want meaning and they want training and they want a continuous education. I mean, they're the most educated generation in the workforce, and yet so they, they want that to continue. It's just amazing how, how little that's done and what little import that seems to have in so many organizations. Any, any comment there? I think we need to understand there's a difference between training and development. Mm-hmm. I liken training to a flu shot. You know, you, you, you go for training and you sit through the class and it's a one day or two day or half day. And I know that all the, all the workshops and training that I've done over the years is that oftentimes by the end of the day, people's eyes are glossing over and they're, and they're missing half of the content after one o'clock in the afternoon. 
So unless you get coffee poured down their throats. Right. But so training is is a necessary evil. But development, when when you and, and I talk about this in creating a development program, I speak to this a lot in the book, and that is is it. And I just hired a young millennial. He's 28 years old, and and his first two weeks on the job. He's just exploding with expectations of, of what, I, what I see. But I'm going to invest the daylights out of this kid. He might only stay three or four years before he's ready to move on. I don't know. But what I see so far, I really like and I'm very impressed with. And so I'm going to spend, and I have already, spend a daily activity around coaching him in things that are going to help him be successful in the role. And it's important for him to be successful, not only for him, but for me. But development, I think, takes on a different venue than training. So we identified that people need training in X. But when you look at the development of an individual and their growth, you know, I, I know that when I started this practice, I was 40 years old, and I had been involved in turnarounds, some mergers, starting my own business, growing two business, three businesses. There's a lot I knew, but there's a lot I didn't know I didn't know. And when I finally stumbled across seven different books on strategic planning over the course of over a year's time, two books on mergers and acquisitions and a book on turnarounds, a whole new world opened up to my, to my knowledge base. So, so the, what was the development for me? The, well, the development for me was really honing in on a skill around mergers, acquisitions, and strategic planning beyond what I thought I knew, but what I needed to learn that no one had exposed me to. Well, that's because I had sought it out on myself. But what you need to understand around development is, is and let's go back to, Ivester who and Brad who failed at Coca-Cola Mattel. If we'd have had a way to really assess their skills and abilities, if we'd have had coaching ahead of the job, if we'd have had identified the gaps and done a better gap analysis, could we have helped them be better and more effective in their career? For crying out loud, somebody saw something and promoted them, and then somebody saw something and demoted them. But if we'd have done a better job of developing them through a strong, robust development program that really identified where their key skill gaps lied, they might have been more successful than not successful. Yeah, I, And therefore, I think we, dif- we need to differentiate training and development. Yeah, well, I really, really appreciate you explaining the difference between because I think there's a lot of people that think that's the same thing. So thank you for clarifying that. We're about out of time, uh, Rick, so I want to close on one important subject, this, uh, this concept that you call three-dimensional leadership. What is that all about? Well, think of it as the balanced leader. And I'm sure people have seen the senior engineer who became VP of engineering and failed miserably because he didn't have any people skills, because he did so well at his job. Or the sales manager who got, or the salesman, the, the premier salesman, who got promoted as sales manager and then it didn't work because right. he was better as an individual contributor than sometimes a babysitter is needed as a sales manager. But either way, you wind up having people that have gaps. And if you look at the evolution of, let's say, someone in the shop who comes from the shop and then they become a superintendent and then they become plant manager and they become VP of ops and then they become president of the company. Well, there's a very narrow channel for them that they don't pick up the other skills or disciplines. So the three-dimensional leadership talks about three distinct what I call buckets. Bucket number one would be the skills or what we refer to as hard skills, and that is I'm a bookkeeper who becomes an accountant, who becomes a CPA, who becomes a chief financial officer. Well, those are skill sets that I need to continue to evolve and work upon to, to really hone my skills in that area, especially if I move into international roles. 
Well, the second bucket is what we call the soft skills or what we call competencies. And the job competencies required are as basic as delegating to as extreme as strategic planning. You know, I, I was interviewing one individual that was being considered as one of four internal candidates for to manage all of Europe for one of my large clients. And my question to him was, do you think you're prepared to take on and manage the European operations? To which he said, yeah, I think I'm more, I've been here 20 years. I know the business. I know the product. I'm, I'm very capable. And I looked at him and I said, so what have you done to evaluate both the economic and political and cultural landscapes of the environment you're going to go into as you start to turn this organization around and grow Europe? <laughs> and he said, wow, I never thought about that. <laughs> so bucket number two is developing the competencies that we need to be effective as a leader besides the skills we need to understand in the area that we're leading. The third area, the third bucket, is the behaviors, and that is what kind of behaviors do I exhibit that may or may not get me into trouble? What kind of behaviors do I need to understand that are limiting factors in my ability for growth? So I love to use the example, and we'll close with this. Imagine you and I want to hire a risk manager for our business. And for those old enough to remember the old character Joe Friday from Dragnet, oh, yes. the facts nothing but the facts. So our first candidate that applies for the role of risk manager is Joe Friday. And we find he's got a PhD in statistics and analytics from Harvard. Well, we know what we're going to get with Joe. He's cautious, conservative. He's risk averse. He wants the facts and nothing but the facts. He analyzes everything. How well is he going to manage our risk? Well, probably pretty close, but he might choke us. Well, the other candidate that applies is Robin Williams. And he's got a PhD in statistics and analytics from Yale. But he's more like a river gambler. We're going to win some. We're going to lose some. We're going to let our winners run. We're going to take some risks. We know we're not going to always be spot on. We have to, we have to manage that. Cut our losses short. Those are personality traits. Those are, those are beliefs and value traits. And so why did Jeffrey Skilling then destroy Enron? Was it, was it a skill gap? Probably not because he was touted as a really financial wizard. Was it a competency? Nah, he was strategic. Maybe. Did his, did his behavior and his values and ethics? You know, he got a stronger sentence than Al Capone. Uh-huh. Yeah. So when you so the, the three-dimensional leadership I talk about in Chapter 7 really kind of centers around, if you will, those three buckets. And as a leader, so when I go in to do a coaching engagement with someone, I'm really focusing on each of those three channels as, so what are we doing in each of these three areas to shore up the fact that we're going to be a strong leader with strong values and strong principles and, and strong abilities across all three domains, and we're not going to have blinders on that we think we're better than what we are in any of those specific areas. So that's when we talk about development now. The coaching piece around development is really guiding the development in those three specific areas that then moves from training to development to then help people close their gaps and improve their skills. Mm, gosh. Rick, it's almost criminal that we're out of time. I have 50 directions I could take this conversation, so much additional material that we could dive into and explore further. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that, that we're out of time. Uh, we may have to, to talk about getting you back on the show to go a little deeper on some of these very critical uh, discussions. So, But for now, before I let you go, how can people contact you? Should they have questions? Where can they learn more about the executive group? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on a copy of Develop world-class leaders? Well, certainly it's available through Amazon, but it's also available through us through our website. It's www.theeg, which is short for The Executive Group. So www.theeg.com. 
We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have your comments. Check our website out. You can see all the things we do. You can see the speaking engagements I have coming up this year. We're going to be in Orlando. We're going to be in Washington, D.C. at the National Shrimp Conference. I'll be in Hilton Head with the Georgia Manufacturing Association. I'll be in September. I'll be in Georgia for the uh, Georgia State Sherm. I'll be in uh, Boston in September. So number of speaking engagements I have coming up. So if you're in the areas, I'd love to have you stop in and check us out, check our website out, www.feeg.com. All right. Rick Tiemann, the president of the executive group and the author of the new book, Developing World-Class Leaders, The Ultimate Guide to Leadership Development. Rick, it was a real pleasure to have you. Thanks again for stopping by. Oh, Todd, it was, it was amazing. Thanks for the time. Oh, it was my pleasure. All right. All the time we have for today, again, on behalf of my guest, Rick Tiemann, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business.